Hey, Brandon, did you know we have a running group? What? A running group? Oh, a running group. We have created a online running accountability group through Facebook. It's going to run seven weeks. It's going to be seven weeks of content, seven weeks of a running plan, seven weeks of weekly live check-ins, and seven weeks of us getting you from the couch to a 5K, 3.1 miles. Sounds like the perfect way to start out 2020. Sure does. It starts on January 6th. If you'd like further information, go to foolsinlovepodcast.com slash 5K. That's foolsinlovepodcast.com backslash 5K. It's only $29.95 for seven weeks. Holy cow, that is a bargain. January 6th. Let's do this. Let's go get it. Hi, I'm Brandon. And I'm Megan. For years, we were stuck in a rut, always complaining that nothing ever changed for us. And then we realized if we wanted to improve our lives, we had to put in the work. Each week on this podcast, we'll get into an aspect of personal growth, relationships, or just life. Through our own experiences and guest interviews, we hope to inspire you to make your own positive changes. Welcome Welcome to to the the Fools in Love Love Podcast. Hey guys, today we're so excited to have Scott Miller on the Fools in Love podcast. Scott is a 23-year associate of Franklin Covey and serves as the Executive Vice President of Thought Leadership. Scott hosts multiple podcasts, including Franklin Covey's On Leadership and Great Life, Great Career. Additionally, Scott is the author of the multi-week Amazon number one new release, Management Mess to Leadership Success, 30 Challenges to Become the Leader You Would Follow. Welcome to the show, Scott. Megan, thank you for the invitation and the platform. Absolutely, Scott. Welcome, welcome. And so before we jump in, can you just give us a little background of your journey up until this point? I know that's kind of a loaded question, but I want to give our audience just some background at where you're coming from. Yeah, happy to. So, you know, I'm 51 and I have, I'm actually entering now, Megan, my 24th year, just coming up on 24 years with the Franklin Covey Company. Many of your listeners probably know that company is a global leadership development firm co-founded by Dr. Stephen R. Covey. He, of course, authored the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That book is now in its 30th year and can you believe it sold 50 million copies Dr. Covey kind of raised me as a pup. He passed about seven years ago, but much of what I learned over the course of my career at the Covey Leadership Center, Franklin Covey, before that, four years with the Disney Company in Orlando, where I'm from originally, Orlando, Florida. I live in Salt Lake City now. So I've spent, you know, my entire career teaching, learning, failing, succeeding, failing some more around this leadership journey. Uh, I'm an officer in the firm, spent the last eight years as the chief marketing officer. And about a year and a half ago, I kind of branched out. I still am very much in the firm, but I decided I wanted to write some books for a different kind of leader that, you know, not every leader uh, does leadership come naturally to, right? Not everything kind of wraps up in a nice bow and everything works out right for everybody. Some people at our company, that's actually their personality and their competency. It was never me. Leadership of people was hard for me. It was messy. It was unrelenting. It was daunting. Not everybody should be a leader of people. That doesn't mean people don't have leadership capability in them, right? Lead a project, lead an initiative. But I wanted to write a book that was relatable, raw, real, kind of chronicled my messy journey, you know, two steps forward, three steps back. So I wrote the book. It became a bestseller. I co-authored another book called Everyone Deserves a Great Manager. 
it debuted at number three in the Wall Street Journal list. And so kind of the rest is history. And now I'm just out there speaking and writing because my wife says, now that I've confessed all my sins professionally, I'll never get hired again. So I got to have this <laughs> speaking and writing thing work out for me. Hey, absolutely. There's some motivation for you. I it love is, that. It is. It is. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I, I heard you say that before about how not everyone's cut out to be a leader. And I, I wondered if you could answer the question of, can we learn then to be a good leader? Because if you, you said it was difficult for you, so where do you find kind of your, your footing and is it possible to become a good leader over time? Yeah, sure. I'll try to condense this. My premise that everyone should not be a leader of people, I'm fairly resolute in. I think that too often, Brandon and Megan, people get lured into leadership positions. They're not led into it because often organizations, you know, promote the best producing individual producer, right? The most efficient digital designer or the most pro proficient dental hygienist or the top salesperson. And all of a sudden they find themselves being the leader of salespeople when rarely do the competencies and skills that make you great at your individual job translate into making you a great leader of people? It rarely happens. So I think the first thing is to check, check your ego, check your intention. You know, why do you want to lead people? Do you want to lead people? I think the leadership industry has kind of shamed too many people into saying you got to kind of be a leader in order to get promoted or earn more money. And in some companies, that's true. So I think the first step to becoming a leader of people is to decide, is this the right projection, you know, uh, uh, trajectory for me? Is this the right use of my talents and skills? There's no shame with choosing not to lead people. Quite frankly, I find it in the short term quite unrewarding and it's sort of unrelenting, right? And it kind of, you know, it's, it's can be um, satisfying in the long term, but it's, it's, it requires you to have, you know, high courage conversations and, and call out people and terminate people and discuss the undiscussables and move outside your comfort zone. It's tough. So I think anyone can learn to be a great leader. The question is, is it worth it? Is it worth kind of giving up your kidney for some of you, right? Is it worth having you be awake at night? Is that your legacy? And I don't think it is for everyone, and that's just fine. This book that I wrote, Management Mess to Leadership Success, I illustrate 30 challenges that every leader faces. And I think you can become great at any of them if you put enough work into it. But ask yourself, you know, I, I could probably become a brain surgeon. Probably not, but you get the point, right? I probably could become a landscape architect. But is it worth the investment, right, is to pay off big enough for the sacrifice. So I would just ask people, is this the right path for you? And is the payoff worth the investment? For some right. of us, it's not. Absolutely, absolutely. We've heard you say that leadership takes a lot of courage. And you just mentioned those high courage conversations. Can you talk just a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, Megan, I think the two key roles of a leader are to attract and retain quality talent, people who are more talented than you are. And that requires you to check your ego and check your own insecurities and say, gosh, you know what? Am I comfortable hiring people who are palpably, noticeably smaller, smarter than I am? That's the first competency, attract and retain talent that is palpably more noticeable than you. The second skill, Megan, I think is providing feedback. 
talking to people about their blind spots. Everybody's got them, including you, including your husband, including me, right? We've all got blind spots. None of us are as self-aware as we think we are. And as a leader, I think the biggest gift you can give your team members, or if you're not a leader of people formally, and you're, you're a mom or you're a dad or you're an uncle or grandmother, there might be people in your family that have some blind spots where it might require you to move outside of your comfort zone and help them see what they're not seeing, but everybody else is. I, I love this quote. You think they don't know. They do. Everybody knows your messes. We've all got them, right? Your husband knows them. Your neighbor knows them. Your partner on your doubles tennis team knows them. Your prayer partner at church knows them. Your receptionist knows them. Your boss knows them. Everybody's talking about your messes. So why not just own them and make it safe for others to own theirs? So, so to your point, high courage feedback to another person about one of their blind spots is the biggest gift you can give someone as a leader. And it's going to require you to discuss some undiscussables and move outside your natural comfort zone. It might be about their presentation skills or how often they use the word um or like or you know or she goes or he goes. It might be about their body language. It might be about their collaboration skills or their inability to ever take responsibility for when they drop the ball or praise anyone else. It might be about their personal hygiene. I mean, I've had many conversations with people about their personal hygiene because I care about them, because I love them, and I'm willing to not be liked because that's not a leader's job. A leader's job is not to be liked. A leader's job is to lift other people up and help them understand the genius that you see in them and are there some things that are holding them back. And I'll finish this, Megan. A lot of people, when they hear me say this, they say, well, Scott, it's so easy for you. I said, no, I didn't come out of the womb having high courage conversations. I screwed up the first 30 of them quite bad. I either said it too firm or too stern or I used words that weren't gentle enough. So giving people high courage feedback takes diplomacy. It takes a level of care and love for them. It takes you balancing high courage, but also high consideration because you can deliver tough news in soft ways that lets the other person know what they need to do differently that still leaves their self-esteem their self-confidence, and their self-worth intact. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that because I would also say, even coupled with that, that everyone's also built a little bit differently. So I'm sure you know th- from your experience that even in those conversations, you have to approach people differently. So you do, yeah. You would approach a man differently than a woman. Maybe because the personality is different, you would approach them differently. So how do you go about kind of approaching the people that may be not as receptive? Because I know a lot of the times if you're coming at it the right way and you're being soft, like you said, yeah. you might be able to have them open up. But what about the people who are maybe a little bit more difficult around the edges to to get in there? Right. And we both know it's more than just gender, right? It's, 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 you know, it could be different generations. It could be different uh, uh, insecurities they have or self-confidences. I, I think there's one universal principle and that's to declare your intent. But before you declare your intent to them, you got to check your own intent. It's wh- 
why am I doing this? Why am I giving this person the feedback? Is it I want to humiliate them? Is it I want to, no one's going to admit that. It's I want to one-up them. No one's going to admit that. It's when I want to have some power over them. Nobody's going to admit that, right? Everybody's got an agenda. Every leader has an agenda. Every leader has a hidden agenda, Brandon. And the more you recognize what is my hidden agenda, the more you can surface it and then be very clear on what should my intent be. And then I think you should use that language. The next time you need to deliver some high courage feedback to someone, the first thing to do is to check your intent and really understand what is it you want the other person to know and why do you want them to know that. And be very transparent, translucent around what is my intention. Is my intention really to kind of, you know, kind of show them up? Because you know what? Some of us are like that. It doesn't, take, it doesn't take a sociopath to have sometimes bad intentions. That's the first thing. Second thing, role play it. Role play it in confidence with a friend, a colleague, your boss, someone over in HR. That doesn't mean you need to share someone's dirty laundry. It doesn't mean you need to, need to share their name. You could go over to HR and say, hey, Drew, I have a tough, high courage conversation to have with someone on my team. Out of respect for them, I'm not going to mention their name. Would you sit down with me and could you play them? And I'm going to role play my end of it. And I'd like you to watch my body language, the words I use, my tone of voice. Am I smiling? Am I saying it too fast? Am I taking too long to get to the point? I think role playing is so important. After you've role played it a couple of times, because the person is going to give you some feedback. Well, gosh, you kind of jumped right in. You didn't even give me a chance to like get my bearings. Or Scott, it took you four minutes to get to the point, And that was kind of painful, right? So just kind of role play your trajectory, your speed, your hand gestures, your body language, your facial expressions, the word you use. And then once you've role played it, Brandon, and you're in the meeting with the person, here's how I think is a great way to open it up. I think it's to say, hey, Brandon, I brought you in today because I'd like to have a high courage conversation with you. I'd like you to know that what is said in this room will stay in this room. And when this conversation is done, it's over. My intent is to help you see some behaviors that you're exhibiting that I think you're not aware of, and they're hurting your brand here. And I want to help you get on top of them. So I may not use the right words exactly. I might even ask for a do-over. So if you'll prefer, if you'll pre-forgive kind of my word choice, because I may not get it right, because you know what, Brandon, I'm actually a little bit nervous about this, but my intent is to help you. So what I'd like to talk about is the fact that, and then go into the topic. I think that's so gracious, right? Use your own words, mix it up, declare your intent, mention to them that you want to help them. What's said in here stays in here. You may be a little bit nervous. You may not use the right words. Most people will begin to let their guard down a little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit. Just keep revisiting your intent with people. And I think most people will be receptive, recognizing that a lot of us will be defensive. That's okay, right? Just let us kind of work through it. Everybody kind of has to work through it on their own timeline. I hope that's helpful. It is. You know, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking of how many times I've personally messed up in these types of conversations where I didn't role play first or I totally used the wrong word and didn't ask for pre-forgiveness or said the wrong things and didn't even go back later and ask for forgiveness about what I had said. 
and I'm just thinking these are some great tools and great ideas for how I should be kind of focusing on these high courage conversations in the future. You know, you know, uh, Megan, to that point, one of the wisest thing I've ever heard come out of anybody's mouth was one of Franklin Covey's founders, a man named Blaine Lee. He passed about 12 years ago. He wrote a book called Influence with Honor. And this is what he said. And I think this is worthy of repeating twice. So your listeners might even choose to write it down. This has changed my life. He said, nearly all if not all, conflict in life comes from mismatched or unfulfilled expectations. I'm going to repeat it. Nearly all, if not all, conflict in life comes from mismatched or unfulfilled expectations. As you think about, you know, Thanksgiving pies at your mother-in-law's house, and did you bring the right one or the wrong one? When you think about a conversation with your spouse around, you know, what you thought was going to happen at the dinner party you're hosting, or with your boss, or your team member, or someone in your synagogue, or your mosque, whatever it is, most conflict in life with the guy who may detail your cars once a year, or help you mow your lawn occasionally, most surprises are because one of us did not clarify expectations up front. And that requires you to take the conversation a little further than you wanted to, discuss some things that were maybe not discussable with the, you know, the person who's helping you clean out your gutters, right? You thought it was going to be $40, and he walks up with an $80 bill. Well, he forgot to tell you that the gutters hadn't been cleaned in four years, right? And you forgot to say, hey, if it's going to be more than $40, would you knock on the door and tell me because my budget isn't more than 40 You get the point, right? So much conflict in life can be eliminated if as leaders, if as partners, as spouses, as parents, as team members, as coaches, just move outside a little further than your comfort zone and take that privilege the necessity to clarify your expectations and listen to theirs. And I think in these conversations, Megan, remembering that is going to help you. But it does take one of two parties to take a little bit of a further step outside their natural you know, proclivity to, um, to clarify. Right. I love that idea because you think about it too, and even as you're using those examples, I mean, first of all, mind blown as far as the, the statement you made there, but you use the examples of like people working on your house or people, you know, your spouse or, or whatever else. And sometimes people are willing to be more outspoken or speak with more intent in those meetings. But then when it comes back to leadership or something at your job, they have trouble searching and finding those words. Yeah. And they're almost different people in the leadership role than they would be if you ran into them outside on the street. And so that is all like an amazing thought, but it's like, I think that's where you were saying the intent and the role playing and the honesty and the vulnerability comes in because I know so often as a leader, you just have to find that vulnerability and find that connection and like allow the other person to, like you said, let their guard down as well and open up the conversation even more. And you might have to move outside your comfort zone. I've mentioned this several times, Brandon, right? But I mean, my, my wife, my wife would kick my intellectual butt on the MCAT, the SAT, the ACT, the LSAT, the GRE. She's an intellectual giant, right? She's a stay-at-home mom, full-time, and she's a little more diplomatic than I am. She's a little more uh, uh, retiring and shy, does not like conflict. And my wife is more likely to pay 
the bill of the guy installing the gate that's $400 more than he said, then confront him. Now she'll come to me and complain about it, but she typically will avoid that kind of conflict. I'll walk out there and say, hey, dude, what's up? We mentioned, we said it was, you know, 400 bucks. Why is it 800 bucks? Talk to me. I'm very comfortable with that. It takes practice. It takes some role playing. It takes, like I said before, kind of screwing it up sometimes. It does take you sometimes to move outside your comfort zone. It sometimes takes you just clarifying. Let me, let me give a good example. Um, you know, maybe someone is going to cater your holiday party. I, I don't know, right? Everyone's got different levels of budget and that kind of stuff. But, you know, so many times these bills end up more than we thought they were, right? It happens all the time to me. And we have a fairly large yard at our house, larger than I can maintain. And so we have a yard man come about once every two months and do some of the heavy lifting. I just can't do it all. And inevitably, it's about, you know, $20, $30 more than I want. So I have gotten into the habit to say, let's call him, you know, John. John, hey, man, I got 80 bucks today. If there's any reason you can't get this done with 80 bucks, can you come talk to me and I'll figure out how to make a workaround or, you know, do it myself or whatever. I'm just now quite very comfortable because the budget's 80 bucks. It's not 120 bucks. It does take some practice, but if it sounds tough for your listeners, start small, right? Start with your spouse, <laughs> role play it, just start small. And I think you'll find yourself becoming more and more comfortable, more and more confident. And that confidence will transition over into other areas of your life. Nobody came out of the womb being high courage. They were raised in a family or they saw it in their parents or an uncle or a neighbor or a first boss, and they began to kind of adopt that skill set because it started to work for them. I don't think people are naturally more shy. I'm not a psychotherapist, but I have seen people, including myself, I was fairly shy and retiring as a child, and I just realized, you know what? If I wanted to take control of my life as opposed to being part of somebody else's plan for their life, I needed to move outside of my comfort zone and be a little more courageous in every aspect of my life. Oh my gosh, I love that. That's exactly what I realized. And it took me far too long, but finally I'm there as I was the shy kid too. You know, Megan, you know, it's, you know, have a plan or be part of somebody else's, right? Because other people will suck you into their plan if you don't have a plan or have the courage to stand up for yourself and have your own vision and your own path and your own plan. 100%. So we've been talking, well, we've been talking a lot about talking, but I know you do have important and probably quite a lot of thoughts about listening. Can we talk about being a good listener for a minute? How long do I have? Do I have two hours? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me share some highlights. I'm mindful of our time. Uh, in the book, I wrote Management Mess to Leadership Success. I mentioned there's these 30 challenges. And all these 30 challenges are called from the Franklin Covey content. This one is challenge three, and we call it listen first. And, and I think, and, and Megan and Brandon, you've heard me speak about this before. I think listening is a vastly underrated leadership competency. Leadership as a parent, leadership as a spouse or partner, leadership as a friend, leadership in your business. Is that because most of us have been trained to be very forceful, influential communicators, verbal communicators, right? We're trained to be persuasive on stage with our hand gestures and our body language or our voice, our inflection, our charisma. One of my coaches tells me, Scott, you're always in persuasion mode and it turns me off a bit. Now I was raised in sales, right? So I was raised to kind of always be in persuasion mode and she's coaching me to always 
be a little less convincing, a little less salesy, a little less persuasive. But the fact of the matter is most of us have had some training about being a better verbal communicator. If I could you know, take a raise of hands of your listeners right now, I bet everybody would raise their hand. They had a speech class in high school, a speech class in college. They learned PowerPoint or keynote. As leaders were taught to clarify, 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 message, margin, mission, values, you name it, right? Clarify, clarify. But the problem is so few of us have ever had any formal training on listening because we're always talking. And as listeners, we have to realize that talking is quite selfish. Listening is quite selfless. The problem with, with, with listening is when we listen, most of us listen. This is Dr. Covey's concept. We listen with the intent to respond and not the intent to understand. Because we're listening on our own agenda, our own timeline, our own narrative, our own field of experience. And each of us have a subconscious sense. Listen to this. This is profound. Dr. Deborah Tannen, who's a famous linguistics professor at Georgetown, wrote many books. And she taught me this concept in an interview once. She said, most people, everybody has a subconscious sense of how long we think the other person should be talking. And when that subconscious alarm goes off in our head, ding, we tend to interrupt. So I think that Megan should talk for about 45 seconds and then stop. Megan thinks Brandon should talk for 38 seconds and stop. Brandon thinks that his mother-in-law should talk for four seconds and stop. You get the point, right? We have this subconscious sense for how long we think the other person should be speaking, and then we get bored. And we either want to solve their problem, we want to finish their sentence, we want to move it along for them, right? Oh, I've, I've dated that kind of girl, here's how you manage that, or oh, I've been in that kind of meeting, or I've been in that kind of, you know, church group, whatever it is, here's how you solve it. It comes from a good place subconsciously, but it's quite selfish consciously. So one I think is to understand that when you are interrupting, when you're asking questions that may be well-intended, they're usually on your own agenda in your own timeline. And most people don't want their problem solved. They just want to be understood and heard. So a, a quick tip that I share is the next time you're tempted to interrupt someone, and it will be today. It'll be as soon as you hang up off this podcast. Resist that temptation and gently instead let your upper lip touch your lower lip. Close your lips very gently. Don't grimace. <laughs> just very gently. Don't show any teeth and count to 10 in your head. And the odds are that when you resist the temptation, Brandon, to interrupt Megan and you just count to 10, the odds are that Megan will finish her point. She'll land the end of her, you know, diatribe. She'll disclose something maybe sensitive or personal, or she'll just stop talking altogether. And then you could interject, understand whatever your mechanism is. I also think that people ask questions, you know, based on their own need to know. People will tell you what they need you to know. Because a lot of us have been taught in business to be great questions, right? Answer, ask great questions, you know, get to the root cause, peel the onion, get to the bottom line. And there's some places, spaces, times in life that is helpful. But usually not when you're trying to build relationships because your questions 
are usually on your need to know, not their need for you to know. This may be sensitive to some people, but when someone passes away, Brandon, what's the first question we tend to ask them? How do they die? How do they die? Who cares? What does it matter? It's usually our sort of own macabre need to know. Does it matter if it was from old age? Does it matter if it was they took their life? Does it matter if they had prostate cancer? Maybe it does. It probably doesn't. The questions you're asking other people are usually to satisfy your need to know. I get it, right? Your own context. If you know more, you can show different types of empathy. You can follow up. You can, but you know, you don't know what the other person is feeling. You don't know if they're sad, they're relieved, that they're in shock, that they're still processing it, right? So the next time you're tempted to ask anybody a question, before you ask the question, in your mind, say, what's my intent? What am I doing with this information? It will transform your relationships if you spend less time talking and more time listening. That is absolutely unbelievable because I have lived so many years, Scott, as the fixer. Like I always wanted to be the person to fix it. But when you think about it the way you just explained, I mean, you're, you're really selfishly thinking you know what's best for that person and that you're going to be able to fix it when, like you said, in reality, they don't need you to fix it. They just need you to listen. And it's so powerful uh, because I, I, I wish I would have had this conversation with you many, many years ago because you would have saved me a lot of time and energy. <laughs> well, I think it comes from a good place, right, Brandon? I think your vulnerability is to be recognized and applauded. Everybody is thinking what you just said about yourself. So congrats on owning your mess. It comes from a good place, right? Good people want to help other people. But the help that you're offering may not be the help they need. Now, if someone asks you, what would you do? You might say, well, should I, are, you, am I, are, you, are you asking for what I would do? Or do you think I should tell you what you should do? Because those might be different, right? So you might then ask some questions. Do you want me to tell you what I think uh, someone else has done and I saw it work for them? I think the more you can just understand what do they need from you. And it may be nothing. It may be a hug. It may be just, I'm sorry. It may be just, how are you doing with that? Or what have you tried thus far, right? It just, if the more you check your intent and the more you understand what do they need from me, not what do I need to give them, it will transform your communication. Now, listen, like Dr. Covey says, you know, uh, common knowledge isn't common practice, right? We get all of this. So you have to work on this. Take some small steps, kind of build your way up, right? And, and you're going to screw it up a couple of times and you're going to get back into that self-serving need to ask questions on your own timeline. But let me leave you with this thought on this topic. If you want to become a better listen, listener, Megan and Brandon, the next time someone is talking to you about something of interest to them, I want you to recognize how easy it is for you to get distracted. You got to go water the Christmas tree. You need to go pick up the things for the stockings. You got to get the gifts for the teachers. I got to, you know, I got to, uh, you know, take out the garbage cans. My report's due for my boss. You're going to be, you're going to be bombarded with choices and options and things that are maybe more interesting than what it is they're telling. Recognize how easily it is for you to be distracted. 
and mindfully, deliberately marshal some energy, physical, emotional, and mental, to keep checking back into her conversation. It might take you every three seconds where you have to mentally resist being distracted and mentally check back in to what she is saying. And the more you are listening, that person will see it in your eyes. They'll see it in your body language. They'll see it in your facial expressions. They'll feel it in your heart. When you recognize how easy it is and natural it is to be distracted on the hundreds of things that are competing for your attention, and you just simply say, you know what, for every three seconds, I'm going to repeat in my head what he just said to me, it will also have a positive influence on your relationships. I am taking all the notes over here. My mind is totally blown because as you're talking, Brandon's pointing at me like, hey, you're guilty of this. And we're, all, I, we're all guilty of this. We're all guilty of this. And I'm dying silently inside because I know it's true. We could go on forever. This has been amazing. I know you got to go. Thank you so, so much. I love everything you've said. This has been so much fun. Megan and Brandon, it's my honor. I don't want anybody to think that I've got a mastery of these things. I just wrote a whole book confessing all of my own management messes. I think it's a funny book. I hope your listeners will pick it up. And we're all on the same journey, right? We're all just moving from mess to success. Have a great holiday, New Year as well. Thank you for the time today. Hey, B, what did you think of that episode? I think it was pretty dang good. Well, what should someone do if they enjoyed these last 30 minutes? They should probably head over and leave us a review so we can reach more people. They definitely should. Guys, if you like the Fools in Love podcast, please go follow us over on Instagram at Fools in Love Podcast. We'd love to connect with you and learn more about what you'd like to hear. 